Let's pray. Father, that is indeed my prayer that you would take joy, my King, in what you hear. I'm thankful for the worship that we've had in song and grateful for the time around your throne. I'm thankful to be in the midst of my dear church family and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Lord, if you would help me as I open your word and as we gather around this word, edify our hearts, exalt Jesus, change, change lives, all for the glory of you, God our Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you all are aware, we're taking careful consideration over the topic found in the latter part of chapter 6 of the letter to Ephesians. As Paul concludes this great, magnificent letter, we are coming to understand the idea of what we commonly refer to as spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul has, has given precise treatment of the Christological matters in the first three chapters, and now he's transitioned to specific instructions for our sanctification, chapters four, five, and the first part of chapter six. And finally, he's concluding with what I think of as sobering realities that every person who's a follower of Jesus Christ will be involved in spiritual warfare. Last week, Brother Jacob Johnson reminded us that living the Christian life is not about beaches, sand buckets, shovels, towels, sunscreens, lemonade, and iced tea. Rather, it's more like the beachhead of the D-Day invasion on the banks of Normandy. As a matter of fact, I've heard it said that the Christian life is not like a cruise ship, but it's like a battleship. One pastor said, far too long we've lived in a place where churches are more in tune with cruise ship Christianity, and it's akin to a long holiday. I would guess that only a certain percentage of my audience this morning would even know what I am referring to when I say the love boat. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say the love boat? It's just you, Sean Miller, you have no idea what the love boat is. It's fantastic. Well, it was a cruise ship, and it was a show about a cruise ship, and they would come and board the cruise ship and sit back, relax, and get comfortable. Everybody would serve their every need. They'd have a good time, and they would return with souvenirs, and always there was a love connection, Sean, always, hence love boat. Well, you see, the church sometimes is thought of like the love boat, wrongly. Rather, it's more like a great warship, like a battleship or an aircraft carrier. The most decorated warship in the U.S. history, according to what I found via Google, was the USS New Jersey. It started off in World War II, and then it was put on reserve status, only to come out in Korea, put it back on reserve status, came back in Vietnam, only to put on reserve status, and then finally in 1982, 
It supported operations in the Lebanese war. It had over 19 battle stars awarded to this warship. It's probably the premier warship of the U.S. fleet, even yet today. You see, a warship has a clear mission. Every member of the crew has a special role to play. They know who the enemy is, they're trained to fight, and they're fully committed, and they're fully under the obedience and orders of their captain. Here's what I'm trying to say to us this morning. There's a couple of places you can check in and check out, not really, but this is one that you need to check into. You can't take a cruise ship mentality into your daily Christian walk. And I think that's what's happening. We have the love boat mentality rather than we're on a great USS New Jersey, if you will. If you're gonna take a cruise ship mentality into your spiritual walk, you're gonna be wondering what's going on. You may be perplexed about what's happening to you, but you, even more importantly, may be improperly prepared. You see, when a person, although I didn't do it, I, I, I wish I would have, but a person that was enlisted in the military service ultimately understands that they've been trained and, and prepared to eventually sent out to battle. That's what they have signed up to do by definition, is to go and fight. Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't got it yet, you're going to be in a spiritual fight if you're a soldier of the cross. Part of your daily life, until the Lord returns or until you go home to be with him, will be in a fight. Maybe you heard it said, if you've never ran across the devil in your life, both of you are going the same way. Do you get it? But you see, if you've ran across the devil, that means you're going in a different direction and he's coming to check up on you. So wait a minute. You say, well, Tim, that's not what I wanted to come to church for. I didn't really want to come hear how bad I've got to fight. But here's the good news. Listen up. All those riches in the first three chapters of Ephesians that we spoke about, God has equipped us for this battle. That's the good news. I'm here to tell you that he's prepared an armor just for you. This morning, we come to the second piece of the spiritual armor, the breastplate of righteousness. If you haven't already, your Bible should just flip open and flop down to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll go to a couple of places this morning, but I want to read it so we hear it. And there's there's really a, a sentence, and it's important. It says in Ephesians 6, I'm going to read from the New King James stand, Version. It says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore, having fastened, the ESV says, the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Was I the only one in the message last week that got a kick out of the fact that poor brother Jacob's so young, he didn't know what a girdle was? Well, I'm old enough to know what a girdle is. <laughs> oh, well, that's a whole different story. But you notice what he's saying. This belt, this girdle, girdling around, coming into keeping everything 
that could be possibly loose, fitting it to your body, fastening it, if you will, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. The Holy Spirit didn't inspire Paul to write the, the belt of truth, period, and then the breastplate of righteousness. He's saying they're kind of joined. I think there's significance to that because you see the central piece, the thing that holds all the armor together, as Brother Jacob mentioned to us last week, is truth. It's the centerpiece. It's foundational. It's the part of the armor that is absolute. It's the immutable or unchanging truth of this, the Word of God, who is shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the truth, and He does hold it all together. So in order to be equipped for what's coming, then we have to attach a breastplate. Or for our thinking, and I didn't, I didn't bring mine in. I, I thought about it, but I thought that would be a little hokey. But you, you could have a, a flak jacket or a bulletproof vest. It's, they're today, they're, they're what law enforcement and military people wear to protect themselves. There are two images, and, I, and only until I started studying it, for this series that I realized I had forgotten one. I had always thought that the breastplate, the armor that Paul was writing about was really about the Roman soldier. And that was for surely in his mind. He was writing this letter in a jail cell chained to a Roman guard probably. So he had a perfect image of what he was writing about. But the reason brother Sean read Isaiah 59, and you may want to put it in your Bible, or you may not want to keep it open or go home and read it is because in Isaiah, Isaiah is writing about this Messiah, this savior that was coming. Remember it's in Isaiah that we get all the Christmas stuff that we, all the Christmas prophecies about a wonderful counselor, uh, Prince of Peace, etc. It's Isaiah writing about the coming Messiah, and he's writing about a divine warrior. And as Sean read to us, this divine warrior was coming prepared for battle. He looked over and no one was righteous. He said, there's no one that can even save my people. I must send someone. And that imagery was a breastplate of righteousness. What is it to do? It's to protect the vital organs, the heart and their intestines from the attack of the enemy. You see a breastplate was to covering the thorax. This, I'm not a medical, medical doctor or a student, but I understand, I looked it up. It's the part of the body from the neck down to the abdomen. It includes your ribs and breastbone, and it covers the vertebrae in your back. It, it, it protects all the central organs of your circulation and, and respiration. It is what is at the core of a being. So he's protecting all the vital stuff, but not just the heart and lungs. I want to make this point because we'll come back to it, that the ancients believed that, that their, your intestines, your bowels, your kidneys, your liver was the seat of your emotions. Now, before we give them a lot of um, flack about that, let me say this. Has anybody ever heard of a nervous stomach? Yeah, it's what happens when we get emotional or butterflies in our belly? Or have you ever had such an emotion that it, it, you say to your friend, I felt like someone just kicked me in the gut? That's because it's here, the emotions and the feelings and your desires 
it's it's true it's 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 they're contained they're wrapped up here yes we understand they come from our mind but it's sort of they sort of permeate our 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 thorax proverbs 4:23 says keep your heart with all vigilance from from it flows the spring of life the other thing that a breastplate does is guard the most important thing, if you will, and that's your heart. In the Bible, a heart has many different meanings, but in, for, for many times, it's to cover the total inner man. And so what the Bible is saying in Proverbs 4.23 is, is guard your heart, protect your heart, because from it comes everything. Every warrior knows if you've ever watched a TV show, you know that the kill shot is to the heart. Unless you're a seal, then you double tap. You put one in the heart and one in the head, but we'll come to helmet of salvation later. The breastplate covers the essential part of your body from the effects of the weapon or the schemes of the devil. You can have truth, but if you're going to stay in the fight, you need the breastplate. So you get it. It's this piece. It's covering the essential part of your being. If you're going to fight, Satan wants to take you out, and he wants to do it with a kill shot. He really doesn't want to work at it. So what he's going to do, he's going to go for what we call, when we, when we go through our our course, center mass. He's going to take shots at your center mass. Because if he can, Jake, that's really hot. But if he, if he, it's down just a little bit. These people are going to all leave. Um, if you, if you, if you, if he can, he's going to knock you out. So that's what it's protecting. Well, that leads us to the next logical question about the breastplate is what is righteousness? If, you, if you're in Ephesians 6, stay there with me because there's something else I want us to grab a hold of. I'm sure it's been said, but just in case it hasn't been, I want you to look at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of Tim, the whole armor of David, the whole armor of Chad. No, you put on the whole armor of God. It's not something we devise for ourselves. It's not some kind of spiritual self-help. It's not spiritual motivation to give you just enough will and grit to get you through the next fight. It's not to white-knuckle it till you can get home to glory. It's essential that we understand that this is God's armor. And so this armor is made, this breastplate is made of righteousness. Whose righteousness? And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. It's the righteousness of Christ. That is what protects us from the lethal blow of Satan. It's the righteousness of Christ. What does it mean to be righteous? It means the quality of being morally right or justifiable. When we speak in spiritual terms, it's saying that we're morally right in the sight of God or we stand justified before God. So how can we stand justified 
before God. Martin Luther spent his whole life trying to come into that, and that's where we, we get the Protestant Reformation. He understood this fact. Well, let me just help us out. The Bible's really clear. Here's some really bad news. Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no one good, not yet one, the Bible says. So the Bible's saying you have no righteousness compared to God. If, uh, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is, help me, the wages of sin is death. Well, we can't, so we have sin in our lives, so that's not going to get us right. Ephesians 2 said, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. Well, that's really cruddy news. But listen, the devil wants to give you this. Here's a scheme that he wants to tell you. You are good enough. People are inherently good. He's a good guy here, people say. You know he's a really good guy. Luke Bryant has it wrong. I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights, and most mamas are saints. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. We could talk about that in another sermon. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. Don't know where he's looking. I believe most people are good. I believe them streets of gold are worth the work, but if I still want to go, even then, even if they were paved in dirt. Now, I like Luke Bryant. I listen to Luke Bryant. But Luke Bryant has this wrong. I'm sure most of his songs are wrong. Don't somebody up tell me they're all wrong. I get it. It's country music. It's terrible. But I listen to it. But we can talk about my sanctification later. The point I'm making is Luke Bryant has it wrong. Most people aren't good. Let me give you a, a news update. They're evil. You're evil. I'm evil. We're all evil. Most people aren't good. If you don't believe me, let's see what Paul says. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Probably one of the chapters we all need to get really familiar with the first 11 verses. Again, I'm going to read out of the New King James, but just stay with me. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. For we are all the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. He's starting to make a point. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he may have some confidence in the flesh, so in other words, he's saying, if any dude thinks he's a dude, or if anybody thinks he's really worth that, I more so. In other words, if you want to get in a contest with me like fifth grade boys, I'll get in the contest with you. And then he begins saying this. 
He says, hey, I'm circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, Paul said, I'm as good as you get to keeping the law. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things for the ex excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is a quintessential text that your righteousness doesn't work. So what is he saying? Paul is talking about, and here's a word, don't, don't get hung up on it, but just go with me. It's something that you need to understand. Paul is talking about imputed righteousness. It's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the imputed righteousness is the whole foundation of a Christian. What is imputed righteousness? You may use the words justification by faith. That's what changed Martin Luther's life. In other words, it's trusting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ in his righteousness to save you. Here's what it means. That the word says, the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross as a perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice to fulfill every part of the law on our behalf. And when we realize that we can't save ourselves and that our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags or the word rubbish in some translations uses the word dung, when we realize that that's what it's trash compared to Christ, and we're fully understanding that the man Jesus Christ is righteous, and God imputes or he transfers to our account the righteousness of Jesus. So when he looks at Julie, when he looks at Kim, when he looks at Jim, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my righteousness. It's filthy rags to him. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Christ saves us. Amen? It's been transferred to you. But, but the, the theologians talk about, don't let me lose you, the theologians talk about a double impartation or a double imputation. It says that not only does he give me his righteousness, the Bible says that he paid my debt. He took my sin upon him on the cross. We sing about Calvary. We talk about the cross of Christ. We talk about the blood of the lamb. Why? 
Are we just some weirdos that gather on a Sunday and sing about this guy that we've never physically seen? No, we believe that historically outside of Jerusalem, there was a hill far away. The old rugged cross was raised and hoisted and Jesus was the sacrifice. The temple, the prophets, the priests, they had been proclaiming uh, all this for years, for hundreds and thousands of years. And finally, he steps out, that divine warrior with the breastplate of righteousness, and he goes to the cross and he says, I'm going to die in your place. And when we trust him, we get covered with that breastplate. Do you get it? It's his righteousness that saves us. Yeah, I'm excited because I, I get it. But there's not only imputed righteous, there's imparted righteous. Stay, just stay with me, please. It's so, so one was transferred to you. You're, you got his account. So if you think of bank statements, you got all of his account and you had nothing but debt and he wiped that debt clean and then gave you everything in his account. That's a really silly analogy, but do you get it? So if you think in financial terms. But here's the impartation, not imputation, but impart. What does it mean when someone imparts something to you? They, they infuse you with something. They, they give you what you need. And when we understand the gospel blessing of salvation, it leads us to the gospel commands of sanctification. When we understand we're saved, then we need to live like it, right? And so there is a, there is a personal righteousness that is ours. And the attack from the enemy is, the way it protects us is we, when, we're, when, we're, when we're attacked, it's, it's the righteousness of Jesus that's protecting us. He's stopping the 50 caliber bullets to our to our chest the holy spirit also imparts righteousness to us it's called sanctification it's 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 the day-to-day -day stuff it's like a blood transfusion and he is also transfusing into us the righteousness of christ so we're being conformed anybody here kind of not struggling with the same little things they used to struggle when they first started following Jesus I hope a lot of hands go up right maybe you didn't know how to pray or maybe maybe you 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 were struggling with a sin you were you told falsehoods or whatever and now you've walked with Jesus and you're a little bit more mature right hopefully we're not on milk hopefully we're eating a little spiritual meat come on somebody come on is anybody in here with me at all did you come to church to worship? Did you come to church to check the box? Come on, amen. So let me just say this. From this little book that we've been reading, the imparted righteousness, that infusion, we stop that transfusion when we start and keep on sinning. I want to read this. Lehman Strauss says, the righteousness, the righteous ones are the redeemed ones to which God says, yield yourselves unto God and those that are alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, Romans 6. 
He says, if we're not living righteously, we are easy targets for the enemy's darts. And then this one convicted me this week. He said, sinning saints can't stand in the day of adversity when Satan attacks. Because we aren't infused. So now, if I didn't confuse you, imparted righteousness means that Jesus' righteousness saves us. You can't save yourself. And let me just tell you, the old preacher says, the grace that saves you is the same grace that sanctifies you, and it's the same grace that sustains you. Come on now. So let me get practical and we'll close. What does it mean? The breastplate, okay, I get it. I'm being covered. It's the bulletproof vest. It's the righteousness of Christ. I hope we got that. I've been given some thought to this and I, I'm using, the, most of these are me before, I, before anybody thinks, because I'm gonna get, I'm gonna now get to meddling. But how do we know we're in a spiritual fight? How do we know Satan is coming after us? I hope to end this and it makes some sense. If you've ever said, I'm not sure I'm saved, you may be under spiritual attack or conviction, one of the two. If you've ever thought in your life, God can't forgive, you fill in the blank. Possibly you're being attacked. If you were asked, how do you know a person's saved? And you begin with the answer, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. You missed it. If someone asked you how to be a follower of Christ, and you start by saying, well, you just need to start coming to church and reading your, no, no, that's not how you become a follower of Christ. They're not bad things. I'm not saying, you, yes, you learn about Jesus in the Bible. Yes, you learn, but that's not how you become a Christian. You with me? Somebody say amen. Can I get one amen? These boys are eating my lunch up here, preaching their hearts out. If you ever thought, why are all these bad things happen to me? I try to do right. <clears throat> Tim Dillingham. I love my family. I read my Bible at 3.30 in the morning. I pray when we go out to eat so everybody can see that I love Jesus. But I still got job issues. My kids don't mind and my health is deteriorating. I mean, I love Jesus. If you've ever said that, you're in a battle. Hello? If you've ever heard an inner voice that said, if they knew what kind of person you really were, you're such a fake. Maybe you're being attacked. If you've ever had the prompting that says, go ahead, just do that. I know it's wrong. I know it's in the Bible, but just go ahead and do it because you deserve it. Live life to the fullest. Do you. You're probably being attacked. If you've ever thought or said, 
if I were just never been born, if you've ever thought or said, if only I could die, If you've ever thought or said, maybe I'm a pretty good guy. I don't do a lot of bad things. I've not closed down a bar lately. I don't spend my paycheck in the casinos. I come home to my wife every night. Why in the world is all this rubbish happening to me? You may be under attack. If you've ever thought, if only people like me could fill the world, it would be a better place. Anybody ever said that? If only everybody, don't you dare say amen. (laughs) If you've ever said that, if you've ever said, I'm glad I'm not one of those people. All that is schemes from Satan. I want to try to help us, and then this is all I got. The enemy will attack your salvation or the basis of your salvation. I tried to get real with you just a minute ago, but let me just say this. He will say to you, what gives you the right to say you're a follower of Christ? Because you ain't good. Well, Ephesians, so belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. Here it goes. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace I've been saved. Satan, it's not of my own doing. Satan, It's the gift of God, so I can't boast. Amen? That'll work. Or maybe, you know you're okay. You you go to church. Maybe you think, man, God will give me a mulligan. God doesn't really send good people to hell, does he? If you ever trying to get that attack, let me give you Philippians 3, 7, And following, he says, I've counted it all loss. Everything on my end is rubbish. It is that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not my righteousness that comes from the law, but faith in Christ. What about Satan when he attacks your emotions? What about when Satan comes up to you and says, you're a loser of a mother? If you were a better mother, your kids would blah, blah, blah. Or what about it when you hear Satan whisper, someone comes up to you and say, you're just such a hypocrite. Don't you, this, this happens, not that I am, but and I'm not going to go down that road. Anyway, what happens when you hear that voice or someone says to you, you're just such a hypocrite? Or what about when Satan comes and says, you're unworthy? Chad Miller, you're, you're unworthy. Or what about God can't save you, Jason? Or what about man, Tyler, you messed up this time. That one's good for you. What happens when the enemy uses those emotions? Anybody ever feel that way? Does anybody ever wake up and just say, I'm just such a loser? You're under attack. This isn't about you feeling good about yourself. Let me give you the breastplate of righteousness attached to the belt of truth. Romans 8, 33. Just listen. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If God justifies, who is to condemn you? Christ. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. More than that, who's at the right hand of God interceding for you. 
What about the attack when it says, you sinned again? I mean, how much more are you going to keep sinning? Breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness, attached to the belt of truth. This is the way I see it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll attack your salvation. He'll attack your emotions. He'll attack your desires. You're such a good lady. You deserve to feel that way. James 4, 6 through 8. But he gives grace. But he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you understand how that works in the spiritual attack? When Satan wants to puff you up, you say, I'm nobody, but I'm somebody. I'm a nobody that knows a somebody telling everybody. Amen? Finally, if you've ever been in this fight, I can't fight that temptation. I just, I just, I just, it gets, I get so, here's an instance. I just get so angry, I have to explode. That's a, that's, you're in a spiritual battle at that point. In your own righteousness, that's not true. But in the righteousness of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 come into play. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overcoming you that is such common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability with temptation. Brothers and sisters, all I'm trying to say is, if you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you put on Jesus. And when Satan comes up, when he gets up in your grill, you, you don't have a chance if you fight him on your own. I just, I just don't. I've done that. I've got scars all over me trying to fight Satan on my own. But if we will drop back and we will agree with Satan, we, there's one place that we need to agree with Satan. We are sinners. We are pretty wretched. There's nothing good in us. But as soon as you say that, you tell Satan, but I know, but I know, I know my Jesus. And what you can't do, Satan, is attack his righteousness in my life. I'm saved. How do I know the saved? Because the Bible tells me so. How does the, what does the Bible say? It said that he died on, on the cross for me, and I've put my trust in him, and I'm trying my dead level best to follow him, so you have no business in me. Those emotions, you just, you just keep fighting with the word of God, with, the, with that truth. It's going to get tough. Song that we didn't sing, and I just want to close. It's really our prayer. If you're not saved, what does it mean to be saved? I, I think this is what it means to be saved. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And can you finish it? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but lean on Jesus' name. Sing it with me. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
All other ground is sinking sand. God gave me this voice. Let's do it. On Christ's lid rock I stand. Listen to the next words. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His covenant, his promise, his oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When my when all around my soul gives way, he then is my hope and my stay. Father, there be someone that needs to place their trust this moment in you. They've tried their whole life to save themselves, and it's been for naught. I pray that they would take on the righteousness of you, Christ. Father, for most of us, we have been to that saving place, but it's a battle. And I'm convinced more now than ever, we try to fight this battle in our own power, under our own strength, using our own armor. And that is just not what it's going to take. I pray, Father, that you would give us the sense and wherewithal to put on this breastplate that's protecting the very center of our lives and the core of our beings. And as Satan comes to attack, attack us, Father, help us. Help us stand firm because we stand with the breastplate of righteousness buckled to the belt of truth. I pray this in Jesus' name.